Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 172 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Part B drugs, how the reimbursement is calculated, and how to compare clinically similar drugs in your practice. And we're going to be using examples from the GNRH drug category, also commonly known as the LHRH drugs. All right. Uh, Mark, you want to take us through how Part B drug reimbursement works, and then we'll dive into the specifics of the LHRH to give us some examples. All right. Sounds good. So as many of you well know, the federal government made a decision a few years ago to go back and price drugs relative to the sales price from the manufacturer. The average sales price or ASP is now the baseline uh, from which all reimbursements are driven for drugs that have been in the market for some period of time. And the ASP is calculated by the federal government. Uh, the government is a- or asks each of the manufacturers to provide to them data on how they sell the drugs at what price they sell the drugs, and then um, those are calculated for each quarter. Now, they are averaged out over a longer period of time, So, but those changes that happen in the way the manufacturer sells the drugs or the price the manufacturer sells the drug for are included in the data set with a rolling period of data that is provided by the manufacturer to the government. And then to provide the generous margin over the top of that average sales price, Medicare adds 6%. Um, So bottom line, the drug pricing file comes out each quarter at ASP plus 6%. Um, For those drugs that are newer in the market, where they don't have the data to back it up for the for the amount of time needed for the calculation of the ASP, uh, they start with the AWP, which is the average wholesale price. 
Now, this is something that manufacturer has a little bit more control over, but that is the jumping off point. That becomes a piece of the data set. Um, Medicare uses that in the beginning to set the reimbursement rates. And then over time, as they collect sales uh, pricing data, the data uh, then updates relative to that pricing data to that ASP plus 6%. So that's kind of that background of how the pricing is set. And then, as you all know, every quarter, the reimbursements are published. Those are all added to coding today. So you can look up your drugs and the reimbursements that Medicare has assigned. There is no variation by location in drug pricing, unlike your professional services. Quick question. Okay. So when you're calculating that, as I look in coding today, it gives a unit, a dollar per unit price. So then I'm calculating that by looking at how many units I'm giving at whatever time. Is that correct? So I multiply that out. I don't have to do any geographic modifications or anything like that. That is correct. So you do need to pay attention to the units. And, you know, in the LHRH market, we've got four major name brands that are out there and three different drugs because two of the drugs are on the same J code. So you've got Camsevi with the J1952. You've got the Trellstar at J3315. And then Eligard and Lupron are on code J9217. And each one of them has slightly different dosages as they're listed on the per unit side. And so in the end, the reimbursements, if you want to calculate them on a per month or a per dose basis, you need to make sure that you multiply the number of milligrams that are injected um, for that particular patient, whether it's one month, three month, four month, six month, whatever those formulations are, you want to make sure that that the number of units equates to how much is being injected into the patient. So what are those different payments or different ASPs for the different drugs? So, it's, yeah, Scott, if we look at the pricer for Medicare, which is the ASP plus 6% um, for the fourth quarter of 2023, um, and then we calculate what the price would be per month based on the dose so we can level everything out. We've got J1952, which, for, which is for Cam Sevi, uh, for the fourth quarter at 74.35 per unit. If we calculate that back into a monthly rate, uh, it's at 520.45 per month. Uh, for Trellstar, J3315, the monthly pricing uh, is at four, 401.35. And for uh, J9217, which is Eligard and Lupron, the monthly pricing is 166.69. So that's how we sit at the, uh, we'll, we'll sit until the end of the fourth quarter for 2023. Um, after that, we'll see the prices adjust because the ASP adjusts every quarter. So, you know, when when I've sat through lots of talks, and I think many of you have, on the efficacy of each one of these products, 
And ultimately, there are some minor differences, but in the end, most of the uh, drugs available have similar data when they look at the overall target for treatment of prostate cancer relative to how we use it in urology. So um, when you're looking at those pieces uh, of information, you know, th- there may be something that you find within the data that sh- that makes you select one code over another. Um, but from a lot of what we've seen, the clinical side isn't really the biggest driver of choice uh, relative to the drug that you're providing to the patients. The bigger drivers are the actual uh, office flow issues surrounding each one of these drugs, right? So each one has a slightly different storage issue. Each one has a slightly different uh, preparation issue. And then you have the injection itself, which is slightly different for the various uh, drugs that are out there. So um, when you're analyzing each one of these, you do want to take into account the office flow and what is easier or which is more fitting for you in how you do things in your office. So those are all things that you want to uh, take a look at. Then there's the hard costs. The hard costs are, of course, related to what can you acquire the drug for as it relates to reimbursement. So you've got to figure your variable costs, which would include the drug, the drug preparation, the delivery. And then, of course, the last part is considering where you, and and maybe not the least, where your patients are and how they deal with those things. So your skill sets, your storage, all of those things need to come in play when you're looking at those drugs and their relative costs to the practice. Ray comments? Yeah, I you know, you you've hit on a lot of very important things as far as office flow, costs and all that. But I the one thing you mentioned I think is is very important. You know, after all these years it's finally nice to see one that's in a single dose preloaded syringe. Uh, so that that's good. Yeah. I think they're they're finally meeting the needs of the market as they're going forward with a um, with and listening to what each office is doing and and of course we're making the advancements in the the various solutions that make that a little bit easier. Um, so, all all interesting pieces. Now, the other thing that I think one of the that I get questioned about quite a bit is what about switching. And, and whether or not you need to, to switch everybody or switch some people, that's definitely an issue that I think groups struggle with. And different groups have different capabilities as I've run through each of those. There's a lot of groups that have basically made the decision to go all in on a single drug because that way you have the same flow for each patient that comes through the door. Um, but there's other groups that actually have that use multiple different drugs as they go through the process. And um, part of that's just for patient convenience. Part of it is the fact that you have some payers that cover certain drugs and some do not. And part of it is based on revenue stream. 
And I think it is, uh, you know, one of the things that I answer quite a bit is, you know, can I switch drugs around just based on money? Um, just based on the financial considerations that we would go through. And the answer is, you do that all the time. You know, with various items in your practice, um, you are constantly running your medical business by looking at your expenses versus your top line income. So top to bottom in the practice, you know, decisions are financial and they should be. Um, because in in the ver in the end of it, with equivalent drug sets and with the equivalency, you know, making sure that your practice is running at a financial uh, financially positive, especially in today's market, uh, has to be a part of the equation. So I don't think anyone should feel bad about making decisions at least partially based on, on the revenue side of the equation. Obviously, patient care comes first. And so that needs to be uh, decided upfront where that patient care is. Um, but you look at short-term, long-term, medium-term, all of those issues, the considerations of finances have to be in that mix. Well, Mark, the other thing is when you look at that, there's a huge difference in say the difference between Luperon and Camsevi, which means there'd be a higher reimbursement at the 6% level. But what about the patient and patient co-pays? Yeah, um, that's another consideration. The patient copay is a percentage of the overall cost. So the patient payment does go up with the higher cost drugs. There's been several different solutions out there to address those. There are foundations out there that uh, folks can access to help offset the patient copays for each one of these. Uh, and certainly, as you work through your uh, drug representatives, your GPOs, so those those entities can help find that information because, as we all know, patients uh, don't like to part with money at all. So uh, any assistance, and, and of course, some of your patients can't afford them. So those assistance programs um, are out there and should be explored um, to the best of your ability. So, and again, when you go back, you can't just look at the top line. You have to look at the net, right? That's acquisition cost, office flow, work, all of those things come into play as you look at the not just the acquisition, the reimbursement, but how much you pay for it and how much does it cost you to deliver it? How easy is it for the office flow? You want to take all of that into account as you go through that process because the amount of time your staff spends working these, working with each one of these is a cost to you um, because you've got them tied up. They can't do other things. All right, and we're going to follow this uh, next quarter, and we'll do a, an update on the pricing just to show you what the ASPs are doing. So we'll revisit this and do a comparison of where what happened with the ASP, and just to just to give you an idea what that looks like quarter by quarter. All right, Ray, anything else to add? No, I don't think so. 
All right, let's get some final thoughts. We'll wrap this up here. Mark, uh, final thoughts on the episode. Yeah, I'd go back to the, to the, again, what we've mentioned several different times is financial considerations in a medical practice are the lifeline to the business. So you've got to pay attention to those. Do take a look at net for everything you're doing, but make sure when you're looking at that net, you want to look at your costs, soft and direct um, for each one of your services that you provide. You And of course, you don't want to ignore the overall product you're delivering, which is patient care. So take you've got to balance all of those issues, look at them carefully, and make your decisions based on what you can do within your practice. Ray, final thoughts. Yeah, I remember struggling with this back in my day as these drugs were first introduced and trying to figure out which one clinically, listening to the drug reps talk about the different uh, advantage their drug had in each of the different ways. But nowadays it has come down to where I think everybody agrees that all of them are about the same. And so, as Mark said, I think we can look at it from a cost perspective, an income perspective, and and do what's best for the patient and what's best for the practice. And by all means, take advantage of the, uh, the, the different foundations that help patients that need help with copays. All right. Well, let's wrap this up here. That's all we got today. I will remind you that the Urology Advanced Coding Reimbursement Seminar registration is open. Once again, we'd like to thank ModMed for supporting this episode. If you have a practice management or EHR need, or if you want to check out their solutions, please do so at modmed.com forward slash PRS network. They have some specials for our listeners. That's all we got for today. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery. 